Well, hello and welcome to episode four of season two, Theology on Tap. My name is Seth Mormon. I'm going to be your host tonight. Joining me, I got Kaylee Lopez. Hi, everybody. Mark Siegert. Hello. And Kevin Kreitzer. Good evening. Uh, don't worry, we're all socially distanced in the room. How's it going over there? It's going well. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> well, we thank you for hitting play on this episode. We are grateful for you, our listeners. Just a reminder, we're not having a live Zoom audience this season, but we do want to hear from you. So uh, you can send us an email, theologyontap1517 at gmail.com. You can connect with us on our Facebook page as well. There's going to be a link to that in the show notes. This season on Theology on Tap, we're talking about how God makes himself known to the world. Last week, we talked about this idea of of revelation a little bit more, and we chatted, well, not the book of Revelation, but how God reveals himself, Um, and mostly in the scriptures. And tonight, we're going to kind of get into the idea how to interpret what we read in the scriptures and some basic guidelines in studying the Bible. So I'm really hoping this is going to be a great episode for you and maybe something you can pass along to uh, to your friends as well. So grab yourself a cold beer, warm glass of milk, hot cup of tea, bottle of water, whatever you would like. Pull up a chair and join us as we chat. So Mark, get us started tonight. Yeah, thanks, Seth. Um, so yeah, tonight we're going to be talking about what I call five keys to interpreting Uh, the Bible. And so um, we got this fancy word for Bible interpretation. Uh, Kaylee, you know what that word is, right? Yes, it's from our friend Herman Newtickle. Herman Newtickle. So yes, we're going to be taking, actually the word is hermeneutics. We're going to be taking hermeneutical principles, and that's uh, a ton of very complex, sometimes even mind-warping scholarship. Um, And I'm going to try to condense that down into five uh, simple keys uh, so that when you study the Bible, hopefully if you have these these five concepts sort of running in the background in your brain, uh, hopefully these are easy to remember and you can um, use them uh, in your in your Bible study. So here we go, um, five of them. Uh, the first one is something that we've actually spent a little bit of time, maybe a lot of time, talking about here on, on the, this podcast, both seasons. Um, as you're studying the Bible, keep in mind, all Scripture is the entire in inspired and inerrant Word of God all of it, not just the stuff we like or the stuff that makes us feel comfortable. And we already talked about that a lot in episode two and three of this season. Um, But I think actually this makes studying the Bible easier, not harder. Mm -hmm. If we don't have to spend time deciding which parts of the Bible are God's word and which parts are not, um, it's a little bit easier. And quite frankly, what we decide would, would be God's word would probably change over time. Now, remember, the canonization process that we talked about in the previous episode gives us a great deal of confidence that the Bible has been handed down accurately, and so we don't have to worry too much about that. And, of course, the Holy Spirit was very much involved in this process, so all of Scripture is inspired and errant by the Word of God. That's principle number one. Uh, Principle number two that I want us to think about is um, all Scripture is centered on Christ, now, back up a little bit on that. We have to understand Christ is a title, if you were, if you will. Uh, Jesus himself is the name of the Christ, the person who, who held the office of Christ. So let's back up even a little bit further. If you remember um, in our first episode, we talked about how the people of Jesus' day had great anticipation and expectation because mm-hmm. uh, God had been making all of these promises and prophecies and descriptions in what we call the Old Testament. And he, he sometimes talked about a savior and sometimes talked about a deliverer or a prophet like Moses, only better, you might say, in a king in David's line. And again, 
better. And so we had all these all these different things that were sort of swirling around. And by the time Jesus comes on the scene, the word Christ simply became a, a catch-all term that sort of held all of those promises and all of those prophecies and all of those descriptions. It sort of held all of that in one single term. And so the word Christ... The same word in Hebrew is Messiah, and in Greek, the word would have been Christos. Uh, That word simply means the anointed one. And so the Christ was, in their minds, the designated one or the one that God anointed to fulfill all of those promises, all of those prophecies and all of those descriptions. And in the first century, uh, then, at least in that particular region of the Roman Empire in, in and around Israel, in the first century, I maintain that everyone who was anyone knew and understood a little bit about what that term Christ meant. And here's a couple of ways that I support that. Luke chapter 2, that's a familiar story. The shepherds are out in the field, and the angels come to the shepherds and say, Behold, the Christ has been born in Bethlehem. And you don't see the shepherds standing around going, What's Christ? Let's, yeah. let's figure this out. The, Christ just, the, the shepherds just go directly to Bethlehem. And to me, even more profound than that is what the story we find in Matthew chapter 2. And that's where the wise men from the east, and we think they were probably from Persia, the wise men from the east, they sort of roll into town and they talk to Herod. Now, Herod is not a Jewish person. These wise men are not Jewish people. But the wise men ask Herod, hey, where is the king of the Jews to be born? And Herod says, I don't know exactly that but I understand the question, and I'm really interested, Herod says, in finding out the answer to that question, so let's go ask the Jewish people. But look at the text sometime. Herod doesn't go to the Jewish people and say, hey, where is your king to be born? He sort of translates that in his head, and he goes to the Jewish people, and he says, where is the Christ to be born? And the Jewish people give him an answer. Really interesting to think about that. And then John 4, there are other stories, but John 4 is the woman at the well, and she's talking to Jesus, and we know that she's a Samaritan woman uh, and that she's been divorced. And so that would kind of put her, on a, unfortunately, on a second or third tier in, in that system of the day. And even she is talking to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, I know there's a Messiah, a Messiah coming someday. And uh, Jesus says, well, I'm, I'm that Messiah, I'm, I'm Christ. Uh, but it's interesting that all these different people, even the ones who had only ancillary contact with the Old Testament, they had at least a basic ability to use and understand that word Christ in conversation. And I maintain that that can only happen if the Old Testament simply bleeds information about Christ. Every right. page of the Bible, even in the Old Testament, is all about Christ. The New Testament tells us that what, what Christ is. The Old Testament tells us Christ is coming and that we need Christ. Uh, so all scripture is centered on Christ. And that's principle number two. Principle number three is something else that we also find throughout all of scripture, and we call that the mission of God. Or, because everything sounds better in Latin, the missio dei. And this mission of God is evident also in every book of the Bible. And this is the idea that God wants all people to know Christ. Not simply know about Christ, but to know Christ intimately and, in fact, to believe in Christ. And God wants this for all people, and so his mission is to make sure that message gets to all people. Leviticus chapter 19 is where we find the uh, first command from God that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And what God is saying in that passage is 
he, he's speaking to his people, the, the um, people who have been um, sort of freed from Egypt, and now they're about to enter the promised land. And he says, look, there's going to be people traveling with you who aren't really part of you. They're outsiders. But even those outsiders, he said, treat those outsiders as native among you. Love them essentially by sharing all of the things that I say to you, all of the blessings that I give you, share those with everybody else, just like you would if they were one of you. God wants this for everybody. Uh, the book of Jonah, a lot of people are familiar with that, right? Jonah and the whale. That is all about God's mission. God is basically saying, yes, Jonah, even the Ninevites get to hear my good news. Matthew 28, of course, is where we find that thing we call the Great Commission. And Jesus says to disciples now, as you are going about your lives, make disciples of all nations. So it's clear for that Jesus is saying this, is, this mission is ongoing. Uh, there's more passages, but you get the idea. Everywhere in the Bible, Old and New Testament, we see the mission of God. So now the fourth principle is uh, something that a lot of our listeners, I think, are probably going to recognize um, all of Scripture's passages have one of two possible messages. We either have a law passage or we have a gospel passage. And uh, honestly, I think Lutherans seem to be the ones who are always discussing and sometimes debating this idea of law and gospel. But I don't think it should be a Lutheran thing. If it is Lutheran, it really ought to be the Lutheran gift to all of Christians. So here's what this law gospel means, since it's kind of distilling it down. Law statements are found all over the place in the Bible, and they simply tell us what God wants us to do or not do. And again, this is God's inerrant word, so he means it, and he's telling us what to do and not to do, but he's telling us this, this so that uh, things might go well for us. It's for our own good, or it's also for the good of our neighbor. So do these things for your neighbor's good. And also law statements eventually remind us that we don't and won't and can't perfectly follow God's laws. And that means that the law statements also make it clear what the consequences are for our disobedience, how, how much we've wrecked and how much we've ruined things because of this. And that's really what law is all about. But then gospel statements come along and tell us what God does to restore all of those wrecked things and to put things back in line and to build relationships up again, especially to build up our relationship again with him. Gospel is what God does. And these two ideas are always near each other and intertwined with each other when you're reading the Bible, but it's important to sort of tease them apart for a little bit and not mix them up. Law cannot and should not be turned into gospel. Law never tells us how we are to be saved. It does tell us that we need to be saved. Gospel never places a demand on us. It always points us to faith in Christ as our only salvation. And then as we study the Bible, it's really helpful to keep those two things in mind. And again, there's only two of them, so we don't have to do too much to keep them straight. And then the fifth way, uh, to be honest with you, this is the hardest key to try to, to work on, but uh, I put it this way. The best way to understand how to apply the Bible in our lives today, and that's really really what we're trying to get at as we study the Bible. How does this speak to me today? And the best way to get at that is to understand what it meant to the, fir to the first hearers and writers of the Bible. And that takes some work. Uh, but it pays off big time when you put in the work. Uh, you don't have to be a scholar to know how to do that. Uh, it sometimes helps, I suppose, if you know a little bit of Greek and Hebrew, but even if you don't, if you've got some good study notes, you need to look at those and, 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 and kind of take those into account. 
Um, it helps to learn a little bit of history. So, for example, what was going on in Ephesus when Paul was writing his letter to the people in that region of the world? Where was Paul when he wrote that letter? Uh, same thing is true for any of the books of the Old Testament. Try to figure out the context and, and what, what, what the mindset might have been of the people who said and, and heard those things. You have to look at some good commentaries sometimes to do that, and you have to read them a little bit carefully, I suppose. And maybe you have to, when you have the hard questions, ask some of the leaders or teachers or pastors at your church and see if you can get some help. But, and So you've got to work at it. But again, patience pays off. You get some insights at the end of the day, at the end of that process. Um, and and um, I, I really think that's helpful. So there you are, those five keys, and I'll go back over them real quick. Uh, the best way to understand how to apply the Bible to your life today is to understand what it meant to the first writers and hearers. Um, all of Scripture's passages have one of two possible messages, law or gospel. The uh, mission of God is found ev everywhere in the Bible. It's not a, just a New Testament thing or a 21st century thing. Um, all of Scripture, every page, is centered on Christ. And, of course, then where we began, all Scripture is inspired, is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. So maybe for the, the panelists for our discussion here for this episode, uh, are there any of those five that, that maybe you want to expand on? Or I think what I want to know is, is there something I left out that you think might be helpful to our hearers? Um, so there you go. Uh, five keys that uh, should be helpful when you interpret and study the Bible. So I know we went through the first key that all scripture is the inerrant word of God. We went through that, what, season one? Mm -hmm. um, but I'm wondering if we should just remind um, our listeners or those who are joining us new, what the word inerrant okay. means. Uh, yeah, it makes it, it has no errors. So if it says you need to do this, then you need to do that. If it says you need to love your enemy, <laughs> that might sound like, wait a minute, did, did you say that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's not a mistake. That's that's what God said. Love your enemy. So here's my follow up question, which I've I've been asked a few times. Um, and I think is pretty logical line of thinking for some people is last time we were talking about the different interpretations, different uh, translations of scripture. How can we know that those translations in different uh, languages or, you know, uh, the message and NLT and ESV and all these different um, styles of writing, how do we know that those are without error? Yeah, I mean, technically we would say, and then again, this is some of that mind-warping hermeneutics, technically we would say that the Word of God uh, that is inspired is the Word of God that was first written by, say, Paul, and we acknowledged in the last episode that we don't have any of those. Um, and this is why it takes a little bit of work. Um, if you're, We're talking about reading in English, but it's the same principles apply if you're reading in, say, Japan, Japanese or Korean or whatever. It helps to look through a couple different translations, a couple different paraphrases. And then when you start to notice differences in those translations, now you start to have some questions. Why did they choose a different word? And now you have to do your work in the commentaries and, and uh, find out some of the history. And, and, and like I said, that's where it takes some work. Something that for that has that's always stuck with me is the process in which translators have to go through in regards to the Bible. Like, you know, they look at the word, uh, the words themselves have to line up the very middle of the sentence, the very middle word of the sentence. All of this has to line up. And um, I remember learning about it in one of our theology classes just about how how 
in-depth they get in the translation that really the error that people find are like commas here and there and like you said like some words that they might have in the Greek but we have no idea how to say it in the English so we pick the closest sounding word to it. Well and then there's the different copies you know you you have this copy and that copy and they all have these crazy words and names for them but how to canis. Yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> right all of those and it says there's just little different minor things between each of those and when if you start you know learning some of the original languages and if you want to do that that's fantastic that's great but all of a sudden you realize that this becomes a lot more work it's not just simply that I learn the language. Now I have to look at the ancient documents. And mm-hmm. this document uses this word, this document uses this word, this document uses this word. Which one is it? You know, and, and you got to kind of kind of suss through that. And we talked about that last week that, um, you know, the translating is a hard, is a hard business. But that was last episode. I don't know if we want to go down the weeds no, too I much just, with translating, yeah. but, but I see where you're going, Kaylee. I think that's a good point to have that as the undergirding. And that's kind of why we talked about it last week to say, okay, we kind of know this. Well, then, how do we how do we make this mean something to me? And I think that's where some of that hard stuff in number five is. What what did it mean to those first writers, right. and those first hearers? And, and I, I maybe I'm being overly uh, skeptical or something, but I think sometimes, and I understand we want to read the Bible and we want to read it and say, oh, I like this translation, and and it's like, okay, I'm going to put that to use in my in my life today. And there's nothing wrong with that. And then, then we start to go, oh, all of that scholarship stuff, that's for the people in the classes. That's for the seminaries and the academicians. Um, but again, I say, look, it, it pays off. It, it's work, but it pays off. And yet it doesn't mean you need to turn into a geek that always uses the word hermeneutic. Um, but uh, just uh, to me, learning it just opens up the Bible. So. Well, and it also takes away... You know, people use scripture as like a therapeutic tool. The Bible was not written as a therapeutic yeah. tool. The Bi- and you talk about in the second one, it's centered on Christ and the person of Christ, the name of Christ, the the prophecy of Christ. The Bible was written to show the story of Christ in the life of humanity. Yeah. From from the fall all the way to you know, his death and resurrection and, and the apostles going out and sharing that. That's why I was written, you know. And I think, yeah, there's, it's nice to learn some of that s- scholarly information because then the Bible's deeper than just like, oh, well, I'm just going to read it today to make me feel better. This psalm sounds good today. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and then it, it, as we understand law and gospel, law is not therapeutic. <laughs> you know, no. it's like a two by four of <laughs> yeah. a head. Sometimes. The wages of sin is death. That's a law statement. I don't see that very being very therapeutic. Uh, look at the beginning of Romans chapter three. There's nothing therapeutic there. I mean, the beginning of Romans. Well, yes, yeah, right, right. Like the, yeah, the first two, and but it, boy, the first half of of chapter three is just okay. Let's get after it. You know, it's, I, it's, it's this bad. I I think the question that a lot of people have, at least I I hear from, you know, people whether they been in church their entire life and they want to learn more they want to start reading the bible or they're new to the faith and they're you know gung-ho and they want to start doing it you know where do i start and what do i need to know and and i think mark you got some five good things to kind of hang hang your hat on on a few of these things as, as, as i'm reading it i have to keep this in mind that this is the inspired word of god that it's going to be centered on christ we talk about the mission of god i think law and gospel is going to take maybe a little bit of time to try to figure out, well, you know, what what is law and what is gospel. Um, it's easy to define, 
it's hard to differentiate. Right. There are times when it's really easy, and there are times when it's not so easy to dis- to discern those things. Like I said, ro- the beginning of Romans three. Okay, this is law for for three or four paragraphs, but then all of a sudden, where am I? In Philippians, oh, I should know Philippians two. Um, Christ Jesus, who who um, gave up everything. Let your mind be like Jesus. Well, okay, let your mind be like Jesus. Let your attitude <coughs> be like Jesus. Okay, that sounds like law. I need to do something like Jesus, but who emptied himself for you. Okay, now that's gospel, and it's right next to each other. So, yeah, it takes some practice. Uh, it is sort of an art form, um, but, again, the, the payoffs are are um, just greater insight and, and deeper understanding of what God's really trying to say. I think of the five rules that you've laid out perhaps the deepest and yet at the same time uh, most helpful in making scriptural interpretation easy, if you want to put it in, in those words, is number two. Uh, because if every, if the scripture is ultimate, if it all centers about Jesus, that means there cannot be a single text of scripture that teaches something that is contrary to the gospel of Christ. Right. So... You, you, you never, when you're reading the scripture, if, if what you read, you read it to say something contrary to the gospel, you know you're reading it incorrectly. Right. Mm-hmm. If, in fact, your second rule is correct, yeah. which I would agree it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it, it's, it's in Samuel. We were recently having a conversation with somebody. Is it Second Samuel? There's a story about, and it's, it's a gruesome story about a prophet and a woman, and, like, the people in her life and what was going on. And um, I recently had this conversation with this person. They were struggling to understand why such a violent and gruesome story could be in Scripture and how in the world can that point to Jesus. This does not make sense to me. Um, and so you know, we just sat down. We went verse by verse, section by section, and looked at it, and were able to pull out all the ways that this story pointed to Christ and how the story actually talks about you know, without him, we are completely and utterly depraved. Our sin is so deep inside of us, and so that pulls in that law. And then, you know, you can see the gospel come through of, so we definitely need Jesus. We need God. And, yeah, if you don't, like, I totally agree with you. If you don't understand and remind yourself that it's all pointing to Christ, there are some stories that can be just confusing, disheartening, maybe push you a little into despair. And those can I suppose be law or gospel? Uh, law, in the sense, Kaylee, of what you were just talking about, is that you look at that and you're like, "Well, if it weren't for God and His love for us, uh, that's me, mm-hmm. and I'm going to experience that as horrible as that was, and even worse." And then you look at Jesus on the cross and you say, "Oh, He's experiencing that for me and worse," um, and so now that's really not part of my future anymore. Right. So you can, yeah. It, like, wait a minute, why is that gruesome, horrible story in the Bible? But again, well, we never said it was therapeutic, or we never <laughs> right. should have said that, you know. So, And I don't know if you've missed anything at all, but with the question Kaylee had, you know, someone reading through a text that is difficult to understand, and, you know, um, where, do, where, do, where does the tool of letting Scripture interpret Scripture fall within your, uh, you know, five... Uh, Starting points, um, or, or you know, like in, interpret the difficult passages in light of the easy ones. Well, do we want to explain 
what, because the four of us, we understand instantly what that means. We want to explain what scripture, interpreting scripture means. Yeah, that is one of the, um, I would say, almost mind-numbing um, hermeneutical principles. Um, and although I didn't specifically mention it, um, scripture interprets scripture. That simply means exactly what it says, um, that if we are, especially in those difficult passages, keeping in mind that it goes back to Christ always, maybe we can look at another passage that's a little simpler and similar and say, oh, that's what I got in this simpler passage. So let the, the simpler passages explain the more complicated passages. So does that, and I've, I've wondered about that too, does that scripture interpret scripture belong under principle number two? If it's, if it's always about Christ, then, then that's going to help us. Or does it belong under number five? Or does it belong under, under the first one? Um, or number four. Or all of them. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, at this point, my answer is, yeah, that's that's there, too. And so maybe I need a sixth one. I'm not sure. Um, I think that's a that's a fun one. You said mind-numbing. For me, it was always fun. Um, and I always like entering into those conversations where somebody feels that Scripture is maybe contradicting itself mm -hmm. because they're reading a passage in one area and a passage in the other, and it's just not jiving. And so that's where this idea of interprets itself comes in. It never, you you brought it up. It doesn't contradict itself. Scripture cannot contradict what Christ has come to do for us. And so it's it's there's some dissonance going on for a reason. And so digging in a little bit deeper, a little bit more, and like widening that view really helps us to understand, okay, yeah, it is about Christ. And yes, Here's a law. Here's a God, and right. I think you're. It kind of works through all of them. But if if Scripture is the inerrant, inspired Word of God, then it can't be judged or interpreted by some outside thing. Mm -hmm. It judges and interprets everything outside of itself. And this is what the skeptics and non-believers. This is why they say we're crazy. Wait a minute. <laughs> you're not crazy. You're not letting your Word of God be be examined and judged by anything outside. So, you know, you're that in a lot, in any place else in, in human thought, that's not right. Um, but again, we're saying this is the inerrant word of God. So humans can't judge it. It stands in judgment of humans. Um, and that's why we let the scripture interpret it itself, because anything we bring outside then takes away from the fact that it's the inerrant word of the God of the universe, you know, <laughs> he gets the final say. We don't. It's the internal consistency yeah. that we're looking for. Um, they say the three most important things in real estate are, are location, location, location. I think the three most important things when we're talking about interpretation is context, context, context. Yeah. Which now we're back to number five. Right, right? exactly. And, and, and to say you, you really do need to understand the context. And you say that uh, if you're an English major. I was not an English major. I, I was a science major. But, you know, you start talking about, uh, you know, the the, the, the context of, of the story or literature you have to put the literature in the right context is this you know are we talking about poetry and you didn't have a poem for us you know oh i so, didn't have a poem that's all right no. but um you know uh, is this is this poetry is this prose is this narrative and there's a lot of those things in scripture and you need to know what kind of literature you're talking about on how you're going to actually uh, understand it 
you know, as the, the book of Revelation and parts of Daniel are apocalyptic literature. And you have to understand what apocalyptic literature is before you can actually, you know, try to, to interpret them. If you interpret apocalyptic literature thinking that it's, you know, historical narrative, you're going to get some different things. And, and, and <laughs> you know, all kinds of wild things. Well, right. And you see, you see that even in Christianity mm-hmm. is, is taking, taking a, a, the, the wrong genre and applying it to that particular book. And then you're going to make um, uh, assumptions is a, a light term, but maybe, you know, you're going to, you're going to base some doctrines on that, but you're, you've, you've taken the, the wrong lens to look at it right and the reason i say that goes back to my fifth key is because the first readers and hearers of the book that we call revelation would have known out of the box this is this is not you know letter for letter you know this is this is metaphor they would have known that obviously maybe we don't because we don't understand the metaphors what is this white stone that they talk about? I think it's in Revelation chapter two. But the first readers and first hearers would have gone, duh. You know, <laughs> they would have known exactly what that was. So it helps sometimes to to understand that in its context. You're right. Well, and if you if you are not familiar with the context of, of it, you, it's not going to make sense to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about um, I don't know if you've you've watched the you know NFL films, the mic'd up, and and they you know the the quarterback is in the in the huddle, and they call it's all English words. I understand all of the English words, but I don't know what any of them mean. You know, X twenty four trap Z fly twenty four on two go. And then Manning gets up to the line of scrimmage and says Omaha, right? And, then and changes, changes everything. everything. But but that but because they understand the context, they understand, and everybody's kind of on that same page. They've all been studying together. That all means something to them. And and I think sometimes people just go on their own with looking at scripture. And I think you know I'll, I'll go back to our our. Mark's favorite word, you know, the the perspicuity of Scripture, that it is clear, it's simple enough, but boy, sometimes it can be, you know, really turn in your head and you get things all mixed up very, very quickly. Well, I think some of the ways we get those things mixed up is when we, and this is going to number five, you know, we have to understand what it meant to the first hearers and the first writers. I think we can get into trouble when we start to allow our human reason, logic, understanding, culture, all those things, if they start to be placed as a higher authority than Scripture, then we're, as you said, Seth, looking at it in a completely different lens, and that starts to bring some big issues up. Well, yeah, and that's that's another whole can of worms when you start talking about, you know, using reason above Scripture, you know. Um, theologically, we've got a lot of big terms about that, but if, if you think you've got it figured out more than God's word has got it figured out, then you probably got it backwards. You know, and we see this today. We see, you know, I just saw something on Twitter the other day. You know, somebody was trying to uh, use the the Hebrew scriptures to try to justify uh, the, the, you know, the, their political positions, mm. you know, mm. they were using, uh, trying to take the word of, of President Biden and putting it into Hebrew and saying that it means, you know, uh, a last judgment is coming and all these kind of things. And I was like, I don't think it was written about Biden <laughs> in, you know, 2021. Right. I just don't think that's true. Right. Yeah, that's that's a really dangerous. And again, I think these, I hope these five keys would keep us from doing something that 
uh, that that destructive to the Word of God. I think one thing maybe, Mark, that, that, and I don't know where this would fit in this, but I know it's helpful for me when I'm talking about looking at particular uh, scriptures, is to, yeah, I want to look at the context, I want to do all of that work, but I think it's important to, to maybe read it in different translations mm-hmm. in English, um, whether that is, and we talked about this in the last episode a little bit. I kind of always go back to NIV 84. That's kind of my, we all, we talked, uh, Kevin wasn't here. We talked about our favorite, you know, English translations. I don't know if you want to think about that. You can answer that question since people didn't hear what I you're, like God's word version. I know. I do, thought you were going to say that one. <laughs> um, but, but reading it in, in these parallel, tra- you know, passages, and then you find where those differences are. And then, then I want to try to say, well, what are those words? Why, why do they use the different ones? And I think there can be some, um, there can be some benefit to look. You used the word you talked about uh, um, uh, looking at commentaries. Mm-hmm. And basically a commentary is a book that somebody has, has read, and they kind of go verse by verse, and they kind of go through what the, they talk about, the context, where this was going, and they kind of really flesh it out for you. It's maybe in a smaller uh, idea when they talk about a study Bible, mm-hmm. where you have the text kind of on the top and you have the notes at the bottom. I think that can be very helpful. But I also don't think that you maybe put all of your ideas into just one of those. You know, well, you Yeah, I, I agree. And I want to give an example. One of my favorite passages to see um, how that works is um, it's in Ephesians chapter two, where it says we are God's handiwork. Mm-hmm. Some translations will say poems, some translations will say uh, masterpiece and each one offers a different idea to the amount of work the creation the everything it took for God to create you and I yeah if you just take in the ESV I'm a handiwork but if you look at something else you're a poem and that might spark a different idea in somebody's head of oh my gosh all the work it takes to write a poem and make it sound good and flow and well and that goes back to our last episode when we talked about translation can be really difficult you know there's not there's not a word for word type of a thing you know it's not that we just but and and mark you did a good job last week you know trying to read that greek in Mm. the you know the the order that it is actually in and it sounds like yoda speaking you know it's it doesn't really work but you know i that that is exactly right, and I think we talked about this last week. You know, the the nuance of language and and and, and Greek has you know four ways in which you can say love, and we only have one in English, and that causes issues when we start translating. So, see, but again, you don't really need to know Greek to know that, right? Uh, commentaries and study Bibles will help you do that, and yes, reading multiple versions, but, but again, that that takes time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What else do we have? This is the word of God speaking to us. We, we let's let's invest the time. Well, and you know, some people just say, you know, just tell me what to believe. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I, I'm sure all of us have gotten that email. You know, uh, what, what does the Lutheran Church say about X, Y, or Z? You know, and well, let's look at the Bible. Or yeah, what is the? Or, or they might even say, what does the Bible say yeah. about? Yeah. Well, um. Here, here are some passages. What do you think it says? Right? <laughs> you know? That great, like, theological answer. You know, you ask a question, and they're like, well, let's read the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and and, like, and you why know? do you ask? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we've talked about that before on the podcast, to say that what, what's the question behind the question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Something that I was thinking, um, and it's something I learned from Seth. He says it all the time uh, to kids, to people, um, and I love the faces that my high schoolers give him when he says it. Uh, when they ask a question about the Bible, and he says, the Bible tells you what you need to know, mm-hmm. not what you want to know. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that fits into three, talking about the mission of God found throughout the Bible. It tells you what you need to know for the salvation that has been given to you. Um, it doesn't tell you, you know, hey, you're going to wear plaid today or... Um, Paisley you know. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep, keep that in mind, Kaylee. We're going to talk, talk about that a lot in... Uh, next week's episode. Oh. Um, what do we What do we learn, and what do we not learn, and what do we think we want to learn, and what don't we learn, and, and all that? What do we all need right. to? God's nice. telling us what we need. Hold I'm already ahead of the curve. Hold that thought. Curve. Yeah. Curve. Next, curve. Next week. That's a big hook. Next week. I think one thing it might be worth reminding our our hearers is that these five basic points that you've laid out, Mark, are not uh, in order to try to help someone become a scholar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually the other way around. This is, this is to help you um, read the scripture in a very accessible manner. Yeah. Because God is relational at heart, and he actually wants to connect to us. So sometimes you have that fear of, well, that's the Bible. Um, I, I better let the scholars. I can't really that, yeah. read it. Yeah. I'll just let the church work professional read it and tell me. Um, actually, these... You know, when you hear, start to hear words like hermeneutics right. or yeah. principles like scripture interpret scripture, right. it can justify the conception that says that that book's not for me. But actually, all these tools are to say, this is to help you access that book because actually it is very accessible and God is ultimately relational. So he wants you to connect with him and understand him in a clear and concise manner. Absolutely. So these these big words uh, that we're throwing out or, you know, five, you know, things I need to keep in mind and maybe a sixth or a seventh uh, are actually all intended to assist you in a task that isn't actually too big to accomplish. Yeah, yeah it, gets that, it, it goes right back to the basics of relationship, you know, and having that relationship. And I also think sometimes theologians do a disservice to this you know, by, by trying to put all these big words on it. And I, and I know sometimes using professional language, and every profession has it, it's for those in that profession to maybe speak some shorthand and to get through a few things. But when we're talking to just somebody who, who maybe doesn't know who Jesus is, maybe is struggling because of a particular sin um, and, and doesn't understand the, the, the forgiveness that is, that is given freely by Jesus Christ, and they just need to hear the absolution that that because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And you know, we throw all of these f- fancy words on them, and they go, "Well, I don't. That doesn't mean anything to me." Oh, I see you're struggling with the hermeneutical circle. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> like, oh. Okay, <laughs> thanks. Well, maybe that's a good place for us to stop. Yeah, I have a quick right. question. Sure. Seth. Can we throw these five keys in the? In the show notes, yeah, I, that's what they're called. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say that we will put all of those into the show notes, and um, I would like some email and feedback. Same question: If there's something you think I left out, or something that needs to be expanded, please send us an email. We'd love to hear that. Yeah, or if you got a question about one of these and and any of those things. So, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, You listeners are why we do this podcast. Thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Please rate and comment. And again, like Mark said, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email, theologyontap1517 at gmail.com. And who knows, we might read your email in one of the episodes like we did last week. That was great. You can also uh, interact with us on our Facebook page. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as 
as well. Um, Mark, what are we going to talk about in our next episode? Well, next week uh, we're going to still talk about you know what we might be able to learn about God, but uh, really for the rest of this season now we're going to say apart from the Bible, outside of the Bible, uh, what can we learn about God? In particular, in our next session, we're going to talk about looking at the natural world or looking at creation, to use that word. What do we learn about God and what do we not learn about God from the natural world? That's where we're going next week. Awesome. Cool. Sounds great. Looking forward to that. From all of us here, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Theology on Tap. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night. <laughs>